Part 91 has brought up a bunch of new changes, as well as relocating information and expanding on previous requirements. A few weeks ago, I asked a question about what you would do in the event of an emergency in a multi-engine aircraft, and it created quite the discussion, as expected. So, in this episode, let's dissect the regulations and discuss our options. All this and more coming right up, so strap in and let's get into it. G'day everyone and welcome to episode 23 of the Flight Training Australia podcast, a podcast all about flight training and flying in Australia and beyond. I'm your host Trent Robinson, thank you for joining me. For more episodes you may have missed, you can go to the website flighttrainingaustralia.com.au or have a scroll through the app you're currently using now and you'll find all the other episodes there. If you're new to the podcast, welcome, thank you for coming on board and for those that are been around for a while again thank you very much please remember to subscribe to your uh, podcast player so you do to get those alerts to all the new content that comes out as the time goes on there'll be more and more coming your way and please keep those reviews coming many thanks to mike and plastic parrot for your five-star reviews i really appreciate you guys taking the time to do that and i'd really love to get those star reviews and that up over 50 by the end of april that's the goal so if you can all take a quick moment to jump on uh, Apple Podcasts, even if you don't listen to that platform, if you could just use your Apple ID, uh, you can leave a podcast review and that really helps me with uh, being found by other aviators just like yourself. You can also support me further by joining me on Patreon and there's a number of tiers of membership there that you can get on. There'll be exclusive content only posted on Patreon, early access to uh, posts and some of these podcasts as well. So if you would like to do that and f- support me financially, you can follow me on patreon.com forward slash flight training Australia and all the information is there as well. If you're not in a position to support financially, even make a donation, you can just follow me there as well as you would on Facebook or Instagram, anything else as well. And you'll be able to see some of the content that is released for everybody and join up to see the exclusive content for the rest. All right. So I said on March the 9th on Facebook, you'll be able to see the original post there. If you go to the Trent Robinson Aviation page, you'll be able to find the info. I asked a question. CASR part 91.685 states, uh, essentially the pilot in command of a multi-engine aircraft must land at the nearest suitable aerodrome if an emergency occurs. And I asked the question, what thought processes are you going through to determine what is an emergency and where you'll go? So as I said, I've got a great response um, and a wide range of ideas and opinions, which is great. So the thing I want to highlight straight out is when I ask these questions, um, I want to be respectful of each other because everyone's answering from their own experience and perspective. The thing with this is it's not to prove necessarily one person is right or wrong, but to get an idea of what you're all thinking Um, in these situations and then I might be able to help just with a bit of education and draw your attention to other aspects that you may not have considered and taken into account. So the obvious uh, set of responses was in an emergency situation, well, where are you in relation to your maintenance base? And that was probably the 
more popular response is to go to your maintenance base. Can you get it out of the nearest aerodrome once you've landed there? So suitability overall. Uh, where's emergency services available? And the one I probably like the most is it really depends on the nature of the emergency. And that really is spot on. So let's have a look at the regulation. So in not the MOS, but the Part 91 CASR. So if you've got your iPads and so in your electronic flight bag in Volume 2, which is where you find Part 61, 91's at the back of that. And scroll through to Part 685 and you'll see multi-engine aircraft, pilot in command to land at nearest suitable aerodrome if emergency occurs. So Section 1 is saying the pilot in command of a multi-engine aircraft for a flight contravenes this sub-regulation if, during the flight, A, an emergency occurs that threatens the safety of the aircraft or the persons on the aircraft and the pilot does not land at the aerodrome that is, in the circumstances, the nearest suitable aerodrome for the aircraft to land at. And Part 2 goes on to say there's an old mate strict liability if the person contravenes sub-regulation 1. For those that don't know what strict liability means, it's essentially saying it doesn't really matter whether you knew the rules or not, the actions you took are yours and your responsibility alone. So it doesn't matter if your chief pilot told you or didn't tell you or you thought it was this or that, you've taken the action, all right? So it doesn't really matter how the situation came about. All right, now if we have a look at the plain English guide, it adds a bit more uh, further context to this regulation. So if you're flying a multi-engine aircraft and an emergency occurs, and note we still haven't really defined what emergency is here, but whatever it is that threatens the safety of the aircraft or persons on board, you must land. The determination of the nearest suitable aerodrome might be based on, but not limited to, the following. So the first one, the nature of malfunction and possible mechanical difficulties that may be experienced. So it really depends on what is going on. So for an engine failure, that's probably short of a double engine failure, uh, it's probably one of the more severe scenarios. You will have to determine what aircraft you're flying. How heavy are you? Where are you in relation to everything else? And is it safe and suitable to use the single engine remaining to get to that destination, however appealing it may be? And what I mean by that is the get home-itis, all right? Your home base is your home base. That's where your car is. That's where your stuff is. That's where the maintenance is all done. If you're going to have to put down somewhere else other than that, you may be spending the night, uh, you're away from home, you'd be missing some event or who knows what. All these things can factor into us making a decision which is not necessarily the best one. So, Maintenance base or whatever else it is with the characteristics of your home base aerodrome, it can't just be that alone. At the end of the day, doesn't matter if you have to land somewhere else. Guess what? Your boss owns an aviation company. He's got other aeroplanes or she. So they will be able to get to you. Sure, it might cost a bit more, but at the end of the day, you are in the aircraft and you're the one who's in the hot seat. So you need to do whatever you feel most comfortable to. If it's safe to do so and you're feeling that the second engine, for example, is reliably running and isn't overheating or doing anything else and it can take you the distance, 
then you could do that. But you'd also want to consider, well, what is between me and home? And if the other engine started to play up, what are my options? Right, so we really need to think about that, which leads us on to the next one, nature and extent of any populous area. All right, We don't want to be flying over a built-up area where if the aircraft were to go down, it would A, limit our options on where to land and B, potentially risk the lives of others. This is one that often comes up if we have an engine fail after takeoff and someone opts to land on a highway or a road. Sure, it's bitumized usually or a cleared area, but if other vehicles are using it, there's a very high risk. You could crash into another car and potentially take someone's life, which is not something we really want to have to live with. It'll be just absolutely horrible. So an option, yes, but again, need to really consider that one. And that goes to if you operate out of an aerodrome that is surrounded by industrial area or housing estates and things, I think we've all been there, where the dollar is king and land is sold off and developed. Everyone gets told the airport's going to close down sometime soon. Of course, it doesn't. It really minimizes our options as pilots of safe landing sites and somewhere to go. So really have a good hard think about the areas you fly regularly and what options are around you. Again, as I've said in other episodes, it's not about being pessimistic, but it's just being sensible and safe. It's better to have an idea up your sleeve uh, already planned. I know when I had an engine failure in the Tiger Moth once, it uh, was so much simpler in stress and planning because I was flying the standard joy flight route and I already had spots picked out just in case something were to happen and it made the emergency a lot less stressful than it could have been which I was grateful for that prior planning. So I mentioned the next one availability of thrust from the malfunctioning engine. How is the second engine running? Right, If you're running in summer it's particularly hot the engine's going to run hot it's going to work harder it might be on condition so it's already not necessarily running as cool as it could do I probably wouldn't want to be taking that second engine too far. So whatever the nearest landing site was, was probably going to be one of the best ones, assuming it's long enough and suitable in other ways. So what are the characteristics of the aerodrome available? The altitude, weight, and usable fuel available. Where do we need to go? In a multi-engine aircraft, you have an engine failure. What is your new single-engine cruise speed, your fuel flow? your range and endurance. Sometimes it's not always mentioned in the POH. Some aircraft have uh, tables that you can consult and get an idea. But whether your range or endurance is increased or decreased is really going to depend on what your resultant single engine TAS is and the fuel flow that you get. As long as the characteristics of the aerodrome are suitable, we then might want to consider well, what emergency services are available. And this doesn't have to be fire trucks. Obviously, we've only really got fire trucks at military bases and uh, major international airports. But it could just be uh, like up here in the territory, in the, the clinics, in the community. Is there some medical services available? Should they be required? And they could be notified and be put on standby just in case the landing didn't go well or the emergency could be you've got uh, an unwell passenger on board the aircraft. All right, so emergency services could be anybody that can render assistance, but ultimately someone that can provide medical treatment and or uh, fire protection and services there. 
All right. Weather conditions en route at a possible landing site. So I often get this, especially in an IFR point of view, that if we're at a location, what's the weather at the destination? Do you really want to be doing a long leg to try and get there on one engine only to find that you're going into an IMC situation where you're going to have to do an instrument approach on one engine? Now, yes, we train for it and it's part of the flight tests and IPCs and the like. doesn't mean it's something we really want to do. It's really limiting our choices. Visual is the best scenario possible. So make sure when we're weighing all this up, are we likely to have to do an approach? And if we are, are we assured of getting in? We don't want to be doing a missed approach and then having to try and get somewhere else. Air traffic congestion, generally speaking, if you've called a pan-pan or a mayday, then that would generally not be a problem, but it is something to consider. But the type of terrain, including whether the flight is likely to be over water, is definitely something you want to think about. If you're on the east coast and you've got the ranges, um, you know, we're talking lower safes of four, five, up to 6,000 feet sometimes. So that's really going to be pushing the single engine uh, limits of the aircraft to try and do that. So it's probably best that we don't, we just put it down at the nearest suitable aerodrome and someone can come out to you and give you a hand. All right, and finally, we've got here familiarity with the aerodrome. How familiar are you with the destination? or the suitable aerodrome that's nearby, it might not be one you're familiar with and it could add extra uh, complications or stresses that aren't necessary if you just went a little bit further to somewhere that you've been and familiar with. If you're in a single pilot situation but you do have passengers on board, remember you can use them. All right, They can be keeping an eye out for other traffic. They can be helping write down some notes or weather information or whatever, um, reading you out phase one or two emergency checklist items. So remember that if there's someone on board, utilize them to give you a hand and load shed yourself as much as possible. It's going to be a pretty stressful environment. So minimize that as much as possible. All right. So ultimately, as the uh, planning guide goes on to finish up with, Sound decision-making using a formal process will allow you to achieve a flight, a safe flight outcome in the event of an emergency. All right, the decision should never be made solely with regard to commercial uh, convenience or expedience. All right, the safety of the flight must be a priority. So at the end of the day, the nearest aerodrome might not be the most suitable aerodrome. Put down where it's safe and where you feel comfortable. Don't do it because you think the boss is going to scream at you or fire you or anything else. And if they do, well, then you probably don't want to be there anyway. They own an aviation company. They can get out to you better than any other company can and they'll get it fixed, right? The safety of you and your passengers is absolutely priority. All right, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you again for listening. I love that feedback, so please, like I said, send those reviews through keep them coming want to try and get up to 50 by the end of the month that would be amazing if you'd like to reach out to me you can do so uh, send me an email info at trentrobinsonaviation.com.au or you can also find me on Facebook Instagram and LinkedIn uh, also on Patreon as well Flight Training Australia 
Otherwise, Instagram, Facebook, Trent Robinson Aviation, search that and you will find me there. The links are all in the episode description below. Thanks for all the uh, mailbox topics that will be dealt with uh, probably next week. So keep an ear out for that one uh, later in the week. Until then, clear skies and remember the golden rule. Aviate, navigate, communicate. Cheers, guys. Cheers.